Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, a weekly roundup of geeky news, my weekly geeky squeak, as it were. I am still getting over a slightly heavy cold, so apologies for the sound of my voice. Uh, I have a short link section and then quite an interesting interview with Arkan, Arcane. We, we had many discussions about how to actually pronounce it. A very interesting uh, project, not really a startup per se right now, uh, organised or run by some students or recent graduates in France who I saw pitch here in Berlin. Um, and they're looking to standardise, uh, open standardise medical file formats, which um, it may surprise you to know, uh, quite the state of affairs in the medical industry. So have a listen to that interview after my quick roundup of links. Beginning with one of my first passions, roleplay games, board games, Dungeons & Dragons specifically. In fact, I was playing a game last night, a campaign that's been running for nearly three years. Um, and I read, I think last year, I can't remember, I was reading the book for so long because it's such a long and epic book called Playing the World. I can't remember the author, but um, if you look up Playing the World, I think you will find it. Um, about the very extensive history of Dungeons and & Dragons. And like many of these creative pursuits where a kind of creative person starts and then isn't necessarily the business person, the business history of Dungeons & Dragons is an interesting one. Gary Gygaz is a little bit like a mini Stan Lee in this case in that he's sort of credited for creating a game, but maybe pushed, maybe pushed, maybe unintentionally pushed a lot of people out the way uh, as he was doing so. He died a couple of years ago, uh, and there's an interesting article on a website called uh, Kotaku, I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, an Australian website that seems to have popped up a lot in uh, my gaming feeds recently. And this is an article about his widow, Gail Gygaz, Gary and Gail Gygaz. It's quite a mouthful. I wonder what they called their children. <laughs> um, about her fight to preserve his legacy. The problem is she is not the only person who wants to preserve his legacy. Uh, his children and uh, wife from previous marriages also want to do the same thing. Um, and the interesting thing here, which is also not that uncommon, especially when you consider that Dungeons & Dragons especially has gone in and out of favour multiple times over the decades, is that now the game is popular and now the game is owned by a huge company. It's owned by Wizards of the Coast, which is owned by Hasbro. So very large toy company indeed, and is generating a lot of money, most of which the family members do not really see because of the way that things were arranged back in the day. So she's trying to, uh, I guess, preserve his legacy, but also, to be fair, make some money out of his legacy, which I don't have a problem with. Uh, out of his extensive archives in various basements, but so are his children, and so is his first wife, which is also fair, uh, and they're not necessarily doing it in the most amicable way. There's, it's an interesting article because she's also criticised for not handling his estate very well and kind of assigning rights to people to make films, etc., and then not really following up or removing them all of a sudden and things like this. She's also a potentially a victim of hate attacks from fans who don't like what she's doing, but then the police reports on these attacks is sort of inconclusive as well. So, it's, I mean, it's more like a Call of Cthulhu campaign than a Dungeons & Dragons campaign, but it's quite interesting. And if you're a fan of the game, even if you're not a fan of the game and just have a vague awareness of it, I think it is quite an interesting article. And that is an article called Fantasy's Widow, The Fight Over the Legacy of Dungeons & Dragons by Cecilia uh, D'Anastasio over on Kataku. From gambling with your D20s to see if you make that 
fundamental final blow to gambling. This is an article um, from Hard Fork, the next web kind of uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency section. Uh, an article by Yessi Bello Perez entitled Problem Gamblers More Likely to Obsessively Trade Cryptocurrency Research Finds. I think this is a research from the University of Satan, the Bleeding Obvious. Um, if you're into speculation, then of course you're going to be into gambling. In my mind, they're pretty much the same thing. <laughs> Some of you may argue against that. I guess it depends where you speculate. There are safer speculations, but cryptocurrencies certainly are not one of them. And anything that had such an extreme rise was always doomed to have a fall off at some point. But yeah, this may or may not interest you, but I, I found it, uh, I suppose, unsurprising to read. Um, and working in this space a lot, I meet a lot of these sorts of people, the people who've come from professional gambling backgrounds and uh, got involved in blockchain mostly for the speculation. I am not so interested in the crypto space for these reasons, but there are a lot of people who are, and it's always been this interesting dichotomy in the space of especially the tokenized um, projects that rely on a value to work. And in fact, that's an interesting idea, and I don't have a problem with that idea per se, but it was possibly naive of these people to think that that would not be hijacked by speculators and gamblers. Uh, so yeah, I would love to hear your opinions on these connections. And you can find details of how to do that later in the show. A very tenuous connection from the last article to the next one. This is from The Verge, Casey Newton. Uh, obviously, a lot of people reported on the story that Mark Zuckerberg said Facebook will shift in a different direction to more private and um, ephemeral uh, encrypted messaging. But I just picked The Verge coverage. Um, yeah, there's lots of different opinions here. There are some people who think, and I'm still undecided, I must admit, that Zuckerberg isn't necessarily the most evil person within Facebook and uh, maybe is just an idealistic engineer who is trying to make a product that people love and truly uniting people like he often claims, or that he, or manipulated by others around him, dresses up um, product announcements that sound potentially positive that really aren't? Are they just chasing more and more customers? Are they just trying to dodge regulation, etc., because it's encrypted so you can't touch it kind of thing, which is often a defense of many companies that, depending on your opinion again, is uh, an interesting conversation to have. Um, but I, I guess the there's a lot of criticism of how he delivered this news as well. He published, I think it was a 3,200-word blog post on, um, I mean, 3,200 words doesn't seem that long to me. I mean, what's that, less than 10 minutes to read? But still, I guess it was more that people felt he was burying the story in a lot of pointless um, blather when he could have just kind of come out to the point. As part of this, there's a lot of rumour that they're going to merge all their messaging platforms. This is Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp, which is reasonably obvious, and Instagram. I must admit, I, the, the trend of people messaging you on Instagram has passed me by. I need to be more active on Instagram. I, I'm not always necessarily very uh, forward-thinking on how I can um, post images. I kind of just think of images as images, like how do I post about the podcast as an image and, and things like that. Of course, it's perfectly possible. But uh, I'm just not, not doing that yet. Maybe I should, seeing as I hear more and more people doing this. 
I also heard a very interesting side discussion on this on the Daily Tech News show with Tom Merritt and others um, around that people often bring up the Cambridge Analytica scandal as material for why Facebook should and should do things and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they brought up, or he brought up an interesting point in that we haven't really necessarily heard of any actual negative outcomes from the Cambridge Analytica case and is often brought out as an example of uh, material for to fight against Facebook. But um, it in itself, was it as bad as people thought in terms of impact? That's not to say that we shouldn't do something and that we shouldn't be concerned, but that, that maybe we should stop using that specific example was the main point. <laughs> and it was not my opinion, although I kind of agree, but it was an interesting sort of side discussion to this whole thing. Again, I'd love to hear what you think. Facebook, are they evil? Are they misunderstood? Can they change? Should they change? Can they change and still have a business model is possibly the more interesting aspect of this story. And finally, an article from Paul Krill and InfoWorld, um, one for the developers here, Visual Studio Code. Um, so Visual Studio Code is a developer tool. It's uh, an editor, an IDE, an, inter- an editor that combines many more features to make coding easier. I use it for most of my writing. Prior to that, I used to use Atom, uh, which was made by GitHub, but is now also owned by Microsoft. I kind of go in and out of favor with both of them. But the interesting thing with both of these is they are actually built on web technologies. Behind the scenes, they are actually JavaScript and CSS and HTML. So many people have posed the question, and I remember this question coming up in the Atom community, of can it run in a browser? I mean, in theory, it could. There's issues around things like file access and just the number of resources that it would need and a whole bunch of other security issues. But in theory, it would be possible. And this week, I found it quite interesting. I haven't tested it yet. I really look forward to doing so. Um, there is a company called Coda who have a tool called Code Server, uh, open source, where um, you can run a version of Visual Studio Code in a browser. It's not fully featured. You cannot build extensions or debug extensions, but that is a fairly minor issue i think (laughs) i'm pretty sure vast majority of the users of visual studio code do not create extensions so i'm looking forward to giving this a go um i guess it's that ability to um be able to collaborate more easily there's visual studio code and atom both already have this live share feature which i have used once or twice in a hackathon where the two of us can work on something at the same time um you know, sort of instantaneous uh, Git collaboration. But being able to actually open up a fully-fledged editor, I'd be interested to see what extensions you can and can't run, uh, and whether you can at all, actually. That's something that's not mentioned in the article, but would be quite important to me, for example. But I look forward to trying this, and I don't like doing everything in the browser, but there are times when it would be very useful, and especially for people with Chromebooks, iPads, etc. I guess it's another nail in the coffin of the desktop OS, sadly. And that was my roundup of interesting links for the week. And next is my interview with Alexi Toual of Anc, an interesting little project that I saw pitch at a French tech event here in Berlin, who are trying to standardise medical data exchange in hospitals. And I learned quite a lot in this interview. I hope you do too. All right. Um, so I just graduated from Ecole Polytechnique and uh, Ecole Normale. I did a little bit of research in cognitive science uh, last year. 
and uh, what I what I did mainly, I think, in my life was uh, code and and math, and uh, a little bit of um, applied math to um, in in cognitive science. And um, so I worked a little bit at at Palantir as well at some point, and uh, I did a lot of data integration for mainly for private. Uh, Companies and uh, and uh, yeah, I, because my dad works in uh, used to to uh, work in the hospitals. I was uh, I had somewhat and a better view, a better intuition of what I needed, what needed to be done there. Mm-hmm. And so, a couple of, uh, of months ago, almost a year ago, we started visiting. Uh, I say we because uh, I did I did this with a friend who is no longer uh, with us in the project. Uh, we started to um, to visit hospitals in order to understand uh, how the the the, uh, the stack of data was organized and how they could or not interact with uh, with one another. And uh, and yeah, we like the uh, the technical diagnosis is actually quite quite clear. It's just that uh, there is some sort of uh, um, uh, there is an economical incentive to not share data. In an easy way, like I mean, when you're when you are uh, a software developer in healthcare, you mainly uh, make money not out of deploying your software or not out of uh, maintenance, but out of um, uh, making money out of uh, extracting data. So it's not the data uh, that you sell mainly, but it's the uh, the capability of extracting it from one place, mm. especially your database. Um, so that's what we figured out, and and we thought that uh, the market could somewhat be easily disrupted. So it's it's highly political, but from a technical perspective, it's quite easy to take these databases, uh, standardize them, and and say, okay, now we are going to um, to have two different markets. So one about data and one about softwares, and we're going to do two different things. If if you code a view, then you want to. Um, plug this view onto a stack of data that is independent from what the view does. And on the other hand, if you want to do data analysis or, or data management, then then uh, you arrive, well, basically the stack is already implemented in the hospital that you arrive in, and you just have to add more features to it. Mm. So that's basically what we want to build. And uh, and I think we were quite keen on, on doing this in an open source way. So the the whole purpose is not to um, is not to build a, mon- a monopoly. I, I, it doesn't sound <laughs> very uh, markety if I say it this way, but I think we try and build the opposite of uh, of a monopoly. Yeah. Um, the goal is to have uh, is to make sure that hospitals are technically in in capacity of uh, of exporting data, of managing their own data. And uh, it's not clear that they could that they can do it at the moment, and especially. They have a strong incentive not uh, to deploy any new technology, because if if they do so, um, they usually lose uh, the data that they have acquired uh, in the past years. So, because there is no transition technology, something that can uh, make sure that they can uh, use the data that they've been collecting for years, mm. then they have no incentive, no true incentive uh, um, of of changing at all. And that's what we're trying to to build, and I think there is some some sort of logic in in building it in an open source way. Let's let's go back one step. So, in a typical, as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. uh, are you specifically focusing on hospitals or healthcare generally? First is the first question. 
Um, so I think on the short term, in the short term, we'll be focusing on hospitals and especially public hospitals. But there is some sort of fire is not a hospital focused. It's, it's broader than that. So fire is the name of the standard that we use. Um, it's just that, especially in France, public hospitals are sitting on a, some sort of a monopoly. The number of actors uh, that are present in hospitals in France uh, is less numerous in the public sector than it is in the private sector. So that's why we try and focus on this first. Okay. I'd like to come back to the standard in a second. But mm-hmm. So in a, in a typical hospital then, um, yeah. I, it, I'm fortunate to say that I have not had to visit hospitals that much in my lifetime, <laughs> especially, especially recently. So my knowledge of systems is somewhat limited, fortunately. What would be um, some typical systems that you would find in a modern hospital and the sorts of information that mm-hmm. it's tracking that's important to track, I guess? There's probably going to be a lot of ancillary systems as well, but the important uh-huh. ones. Um, so mainly the stack is built uh, so that there is one software for every task that you want to perform. So uh, especially in France, if you if you go to a public hospital, the first thing you do is uh, go to your desk and uh, and make sure that your identity is uh, is clear uh, within the uh, the stack of the hospital. So there is one first software uh, who's in charge of which is in charge of uh, having information about who you are when you were uh, born etc that's all the information so that's one specific task and there is one specific uh, software for that which is going to store this information in a specific standard or specific language into a specific database and then if you go to a specific service let's say uh, you, uh, you I don't know you, your arm is broken and, and you have to be to receive some medical assistance for that you go to a specific service and then there is one new uh, spe- specific software for, for that service. Um, and then uh, data collected in that service is going to be stored uh, somewhere else in a different language, etc. So this implies that at some point you have to co- copy data from uh, one data from any database to any other database and make sure that this data can be translated. Mm. Um, so this uh, results in databases not being synchronized. Uh, so they have the same pieces of data, but not at the same time. Uh, there is some sort of redundancy in these databases. And basically the stack of applications only goes growing. Uh, you never stop using an application. You just add one for a specific, mm-hmm. a specific task. And just to give you a hint, if even a, a small hospital in France can have over 100 uh uh, applications, all of which have their own uh, their own database and their own specific language in which they store data. And, and I'm guessing probably all made mostly made by different companies, maybe. Yeah. As well. yeah. 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 So, I mean, it already to me though you've, you've mentioned this sort of being able to copy uh, data between databases, which would imply to me that a proprietary software company is even giving the user access to be able to do that, which uh, that that actually seems unrealistic to me, <laughs> knowing the proprietary software world. Is that, but they do or? No, what usually... they do is they provide what they call semi-connectors. Ah, so okay. basically they, they provide hospitals with uh, features that allow hospitals to somewhat 
extract uh, data, but not directly. So let's say I'm a software company. I own a software and the database, uh, well, the knowledge behind the database that is being deployed. And the hospital wants that database to communicate with another database. Then as a software provider, I will give them a semi-connector, which uh, is going to extract pieces of information uh, at a given frequency, let's say every two minutes. And, and no one but me can do this. Like the, the, the database is so hard to understand that no one but me is able to, um, to provide these establishments with a semi-connector. Okay. Then there is uh, in France what we call buses of information. So this, this semi-connector uh, sends information to some sort of a central node, which then distributes this information to other databases. So the only part of the stack that is being shared, that, that is shared uh, between softwares, is some sort of a, uh, yeah, what they call a bus, which only receives information and uh, transfers, uh, transfers it to other, other semiconnectors. Okay, okay. So in passing, you mentioned this, uh, this actual existing standard, this um, FIA Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources, yeah. which, yeah. so this, when I first encountered the project, was something that was also unfamiliar to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm guessing this is something that you're leveraging in, in the project. But so mm -hmm. what, what is this? Um, I don't even know what, what to call it. Is it a standard? Is it a... Yep. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> uh, well, it's interesting. It's um, it's actually an exchange uh, standard. So the goal of FIRE is actually to know how to ask a question and know what to expect as an answer. So, for example, if you want to if you want to get uh, knowledge about a patient, you know exactly what you can ask and what you would get what you would get in return. So, if you want to have knowledge about, uh, let's say. Uh, encounters of a patient, you know how to link these two pieces of information. So FIRE is mainly made uh, so, as, uh, so as to build questions which would be, which would be standard uh, regardless of the technology that is put behind. So it's mainly uh, the description of an API. Okay. Um, what we try and do on our hand is a little bit stronger than that. We say that FIRE is also we think, uh, somewhat adapted to storing data. Yeah. Uh, we say that FIRE could be used to organize a database uh, and that the, uh, the, um, the, well, the syntax that they use in FIRE is good enough that it can uh, lead to a, a consistent database schema. So on, in clear, what this says is that, for example, FIRE says, that when you describe a patient, you want this patient to have a, a name, which is going to be actually a list of names, hmm. each of which should have a family name and a list of given names. So it's just a syntax. Uh, and that's how we store data and uh, also exchange it between, between databases. Okay. Is it an open standard or? Yes. Okay. Uh, so there are lots of contributions, lots of people saying uh, what FIRE should look like, how it should evolve, and most of this is open. And I guess the important question, though, is how many of these uh, softwares that you mentioned actually 
use it and, and conform to it? <laughs> none. Okay. Uh, none of them do. But all companies concerned yeah. actually mention fire as, as somewhat the future. So what's okay. interesting is that fire has been has been going on for a few years now, I think like uh, three or four. Yeah. And there is some sort of a consensus around the idea that fire is the future, uh, even though no one implements it. Uh, okay. So there is no, and, and again, it's always the same problem. Fire is cool, but there's no data in fire. Like fire is a great idea, mm. but mm. but it's hard to convert uh, previous data uh, into something that's fireable. Yeah, I think yeah, I think yeah. a great analogy. Are you familiar with GraphQL, for example? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So GraphQL is is not uh, applicable. Like it's not something you can you can. Uh, uh, apply it to your data. You have to convert mm. uh, already existing databases, let's say MySQL, uh, MongoDB, that sort of languages, into something that's GraphQLable. Mm. For example, that's what that's what uh, companies like uh, projects like Prisma or GraphQL yeah. do. They they make uh, databases like MySQL or or just uh, Mongo GraphQLable, so that you can ask, you can query these databases with a query language that is GraphQL. Okay. So that's exactly what, what we're building. I think we, we are uh, uh, somewhat doing what Prisma is doing. Uh, we are the Prisma of the hospitals. We make sure that various databases can be queried in a way that is unified. Okay. So the first most important question before we get into any more detail on, on what you're doing, how do you pronounce it? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really know. It depends on, but I think there is only one way to pronounce it. So we say Ar- Arcan uh, in okay. French. I think Arcan in English would be okay. Close All right. Enough. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's. I guess you've just described what it is you're trying to do. You're trying uh-huh. to, well, maybe not. Maybe let's get into a bit more detail. Is what you're trying to do provide a tool for software vendors to to build into their projects? Is is that what it is? Well, I'd, I'd love to, but I think the market is is uh, organized in such a way sure, that yeah. uh, our target is uh, is more hospitals in the okay. first place. Okay. So what could a hospital do with Arkin then? So once they have ins- installed it, uh, they're basically free to do whatever they want. It's just that now they have easy access to their data and they can, uh, for example, sign new contracts with new people who will only do the visualization of the data or the analysis of the data, but not the data management part, which I think is is quite new for hospitals because they've, they've never been in charge of the data that they've been collecting, even though they are responsible for it. So I think it's important to give them a... a, a the technical possibility to be in charge of it full, fully. Um, how, how does? But I think this is actually the one thing that was I was still a little confused by in the in the presentation uh-huh. I saw as well. How does Arkan access that data though? If uh-huh. yeah, because that's the important aspect you're trying to solve. Yep. And if these companies make it so difficult, how do you do it? So um, in clear, if you go to a hospital and, and you look closely at how it's organized, mm. they just use databases locally. So physically, the databases are present in the hospital. They're located, okay. located inside. And if a, uh, a data manager at the hospital wants to access this data, they just have, they have root access to it. So they, 
they're not allowed to read it, for example, um, as, as a person, but they can treat it, they can an analyze it, so that sort of things. So what we do as a, as a product, we just deploy our solution there. Okay. We no longer have, we can do nothing about it, like no data goes out or, yeah. or in. And, and then it's the hospital's um, uh, task to link our product to their databases. So they just give it root access to their uh, local databases. Mm. I, I mean, this, this seems somewhat crazy to me, but doesn't surprise yeah. me that... Uh, I, I guess I'm kind of pleased that hospitals aren't using cloud services, but uh -huh. I can also literally imagine just a server sat there in some office <laughs> with so no, no some, security. Um, yeah, some, some uh, a part of it is uh, is on the cloud. Okay. So, for example, radiology imagery in general is uh, is a uh, is based on cloud solutions. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but most of the rest is physically present in hospitals, so that's yeah. why we, we are focusing on. And that you sort can't of access the cloud data at the moment. And it's a little bit. Uh, they can't refuse access. But they can make it very slow. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, there's obviously been a lot of uh, controversy around what cloud providers yeah. may or may not be doing to yeah. speed up and slow down access recently. But that's a separate uh, conversation. <laughs> it's also, okay. I think, an interesting point to see at that point is that as a software uh, company selling softwares for hospitals, you don't want to be in charge of the data. It's no, like it's yeah, a yeah, yeah. whole different problem. Yeah, so there's yeah. some there's a big incentive to leave the data. Uh, in the hospital and just make it um, make it complicated enough that yeah. uh, everyone has to call you uh, yeah. when an action needs to be triggered. But yeah. uh, but yeah. you don't want to have this data. And so there's a couple of uh, features you mentioned, which we'll now mm -hmm. dig into a little bit. So I guess the first one is this. Now you've added on a more open access layer to that data. Yep. Uh, and, and this is the data from various sources, I guess. Uh -huh. Um developers and this obviously i mean as it's an open thing this you know there could be some medical staff who are developers or students or, or whoever really it's up mm -hmm. to you can build new useful services that mm -hmm. react to this data um who knows maybe uh, a new sms notification system or, mm -hmm. or something just this just a probably a dumb idea but yeah but in no, theory now good. someone mm -hmm. can just do that without having yep. to contact a proprietary company mm -hmm. yeah Okay, um, but they can't write to it. It's just reading. Um, so they could write to our database. Uh, they okay. cannot write to. We will not. Yeah. We will never probably take the risk yeah. of writing into other databases we, yeah. because we don't know the assumptions that they yeah. made in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyone can read and write from our standardized database, and uh, our hope is that in a not so far future. There will be a very, uh, like, just very few databases at the hospitals. Maybe just, uh, and and they might be synchronized. Like they they might contain the same information, but just implement different technologies. So okay. I'd see a point in having a, a MongoDB and uh, and PostgreSQL database uh, deployed in a hospital, having the exact same information, but just mm -hmm. providing mm -hmm. uh, different services. And so, yeah, our, our goal is literally that uh, now a hospital can be. Uh, can quickly implement this sort of, uh, of uh, implement or deploy these sort of solutions, uh, and that someone can just, you know, jump out of nowhere and say and implement this uh, uh, text messages uh, solution, for example. Yeah. And, but they they could write to our database. This is yeah. something that we want. Okay. 
But I mean, I, I gave a very, a very inane example. A lot of your team actually has, I mean, well, there's six of you, but uh, <laughs> you have um, one, two, three, three and a bit machine uh-huh. learning yep. um, NLP mm-hmm. uh, experts. So this, I think, is the area where you're really sort of actually focusing on. We haven't really spoken mm-hmm. about it very much. This, I mean, uh, I would guess the closest thing I can think of as a, a good comparison so far is something like Apple HealthKit, which is only uh-huh. really in the US, I think, but it allowed... Um, oh, wow. I'm excited. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Maybe it, just, it allowed uh, researchers to make use of data and do some mm-hmm. quite amazing things with it, um, mm-hmm. which wasn't possible before. So, and, yeah, and this, is, this, is, this, I guess, is, is something <laughs> similar that you want to be able to do to allow hospitals be able to, to, be able to do more, more complex analysis of data to mm-hmm. make predictions and, and et cetera. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the the, uh, the idea we have behind, and I think everyone's having this idea, it's just a matter of who's going to do it uh, yeah. um, first or second. Um, uh, well, as data analysts, data scientists, we've been cleaning a lot of data. And this is a, <laughs> a great load of the time we spend on Earth was spent cleaning data and then <laughs> applying a, a gradient G-boost, yeah. all that sort yeah. of thing. So... Um, and I think this led to some sort of frustration because the uh, you can do this for private companies, you can do this for in pretty much any field. And it seems that uh, healthcare uh, seems to remain immune to uh, in artificial intelligence. And uh, and I think well, a simple diagnosis I think is that uh, standardized data is really hard to get, uh, and for good reasons. Like I mean, it's it's obvious that you don't want to share patients' data. Uh, in, in a simple way, they need to. Uh, they, there is a need for a, a highly secured stack behind it. Um, so yeah, we want to somewhat build an incentive for data to stay in hospitals, and that's why we're trying trying to build a decentralized uh, system for managing this sort of data, and and uh, create an incentive in the fact that this data would be standardized, so that yeah. the exchanges are, are facilitated between hospitals. But the the end. Um, the the, uh, the goal in the end is that no data should uh, leave these hospitals. But on the other hand, hospitals should be uh, capable of uh, of welcoming usages of data. Yeah. So at the moment, data uh, some kinds uh, different kinds of data go out of the hospital. But the, the main data that is the one that is related to patients will remain inside and it it is some sort of a necrological problem like uh, if if we're not capable of training statistical models then it's it's impossible to anonymize this data and then it cannot go out uh, but if it cannot go out we cannot train these sort of t- statistical models so it's kind of hard to settle this problem what we want to build or or just uh, make uh, plausible to build is a solution that would for example allow federated learning to be brought to these sorts of, uh, of places. So we want the data not to go out, but the place as a decentralized node to be able to um, welcome um, works, jobs that take part into a federated learning uh, uh, strategy. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, and this, this, this sort of gets more interesting, the ability to be able to 
statistically predict, I mean, there's obviously probably a lot of um, mm-hmm. uh, stories and, and hearsay in hospital systems because the people on the ground will just notice patterns, but mm-hmm. to actually have statistical analysis of um, the ways hospitals are used at particular mm-hmm. times of the year and, and things like that, I guess. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I often the health system is, is one that's shown as possibly the, the biggest that could benefit from artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, doctors especially are, you know, are making educated guesses most of the time <laughs> and patients don't always tell them everything that maybe a doctor needs to know. And, <laughs> Uh, a lot of extra data points could really help those decisions be much more accurate. And um, yeah, that's what yeah. I believe. So. Yeah, it's it's something that I find very interesting. But I think I think my next question, which is potentially always the problem with this kind mm-hmm. of idea, when uh, when engineers and data scientists come to something like healthcare, mm-hmm. is that well, the stereotype. I don't know if this is true, but the stereotype in my mind would be that. You know, a hospital is full of healthcare professionals, not technical professionals. Um, and even the concept of, you know, so the proprietary software companies come with sales teams and support teams that may not always have the customer's best interest at heart, but they are there to at least give you the impression they do. Um, whereas an open source project requires time and effort and knowledge and understanding to be able to install and set up, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, how how will you go about handling that side of things? Like actually helping hospitals make use of of Arkin in the first place? Um, yeah. Um, so I think I think this is also why uh, we chose to be an open source project. Yeah. Like if if we had uh, every competence within the team at the fir- in the first place, then I don't know. The, we would probably feel more legitimate to uh, I don't know close it, even if it's not not our philosophy philosophy um but yeah it's basically because we don't have that sort of information because we don't really know what use can be made of data that we first focus on the standardization part of it like Mm -hmm. we're not we're not doing any machine learning at the moment and we don't plan on doing any uh in the short term or even like a medium term um so yeah i think it's it's a problem that is worth being uh uh, being mentioned and being um, uh, being treated, but probably not by us. Like I mean, not by a, a team of this size, of this age. We don't have any uh, any medical uh, background. So, so I think it's because we we know we don't know anything about it that we just want to make this problem more easily solvable, but not by us. Well, maybe uh, to to. Maybe clarify the the question a little mm-hmm. with another question. Um, do you have any hospitals testing this at the moment? Yeah, so we're deployed. Um, so they're testing the standardization part, but okay. they're not using making use of any of the data. So it's quite it's quite a long process to actually uh, deal with with new hospitals to find uh, research teams that are convinced that standardization is is one of the uh, uh, the key points of uh, of the success so we're it's something we're trying to build but it takes a lot of time and i guess that was basically the team going to hospitals talking to them 
exactly. helping them through everything. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, it's a long process. Yeah. We have a couple of hospitals who are using our, uh, they're using our solutions. Well, they have the solution deployed, but they have not made any tangible use of this data at the moment. Yeah. Um, and so I got to ask the, always the awkward question of every open source uh-huh. project. I mean, you have a, you have a small team. Yeah. You were at this La French Tech Hackathon, uh-huh. uh, sorry, pitch pitch event. Is there is there a business model idea behind this, or is it just something that you're doing, like many open source projects, for mm-hmm. for 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 fun because it's needed, etc. For fame, for fame, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever, yeah. Or, or <laughs> no, is no. there is there a business idea also behind the scenes that will emerge eventually? So um, we're structured as an NGO at the moment. Uh, we're still in association, and uh, it was not our plan to monetize this uh, this solution. Like uh, in my dreams, we we were to give it for free to hospitals. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was a business model as an association, as an NGO, okay. which was basically to uh, to monetize the uh, maintenance part or just the yeah. installation part. So. Yeah. It still, it still is the case. Um, it's just that uh, we see that we uh, we are not given as much credit as we want or, or as much time as we need uh, if we don't monetize this solution in a way that people understand. So I, I don't know if this makes sense. Maybe we're not uh, good salespeople. People, no, but, um, but yeah, it's, I, I mean, just wondered, yeah. there doesn't have to be a right answer. Yeah. <laughs> We go faster actually at deploying these things. Yeah. Uh, if if we monetize it, so I, I, I do. I do wonder that you know there there's plenty of open source projects that unintentionally become complex, uh-huh. and unintentionally you end up kind of monetizing the maintenance and support because uh-huh. it's easier for someone to pay you than it is to figure it out themselves. Sometimes. Yep. Do you do you worry that you may end up becoming just an open source version of the very companies you're trying to disrupt? <laughs> um, no, it's not. It does not worry me. Like, uh, okay. so I think we'll be uh, uh, clear enough. Like, the fact that the code is open mm. makes sure that if someone can do better than what we do, uh, they can just do it. So. Uh, and I'm confident that we can actually monetize this for something like 10 times less yeah. than yeah. what happens yeah. in the current market. So it's, it still is a disruption. And if we have to monetize it for good, uh, then why not? Like, I, I mean, we're, we're still, uh, I think we're still capable of, of doing something that is uh, a disruptive solution uh, and that would benefit greatly to the hospital uh, because I think we're capable of mm. of having prices that are ten, ten times less than uh, what is being uh, paid or sold at the moment. So for any developers who are interested um, in mm-hmm. helping out, I'm just digging into GitHub now. Yeah. I can see, uh, so github.com slash A-R-K-H-N. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of repositories here. I can mm-hmm. see uh, GraphQL, I guess, um, yeah. wrapper, wrapper <laughs> definition. Stuff, yeah. I'm not sure what you call it exactly. Um, but it looks like you'll mostly find useful contributions from Python developers mm-hmm. by the looks of it. Yep. Mostly Python and some TypeScript. So yeah. uh, I think there are two products. So for anyone who'd like to join, there are two products that we're developing at the moment. Something that is being deployed in hospitals. So that's Firepipe. Uh, so that's basically just a, a data pipeline. It takes data from uh, SQL databases and writes them into uh, a new Postgres database. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so this is quite simple. And, and this pipeline needs instructions. 
So the, the way we have, uh, uh, the way we decided to build these instructions is through a, uh, a web platform where you can basically map concepts from a database into the fire standards. So that's not uh, obvious in the first place. So what we do basically is we, um, you would have to indicate where the family name of patients is stored in uh, the database of search or search uh, software. So this is uh, obviously a web app, so we need a, a back-end, a front-end, and the app is called Fireball. So this mm. is mainly uh, what we need help on and uh, what we're trying to build at the moment. Mm-hmm. And there is obviously, there's, there's good precedent for for mm-hmm. this. I, I've forgotten the name of the product now, or the project, but there is a, a open EHR something. Mm-hmm. Open something like a, as a medical software that I've always seen um, regular hack events for it everywhere I've ever been in the world. Um, I don't so know if it's still going. Yeah, there are many yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, the uh, the law behind this is is kind of uh, of tricky in France. It's not easy. <laughs> no, but it, I mean it's not easy for for an open team yeah. to make something that is uh, that is a GDPR compliant that yeah. is uh, yeah. uh, just in compliance with the law. In general, but there are a couple of solutions that are open source and, and deployed, uh, and, and use a, an open source uh, business model. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, people could start from there. Okay. Uh, there are several initiatives uh, which go in that direction. For example, Smarts on Fire, or like uh, other teams uh, who work on that sort of things. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm guessing this is this is small and early days, but um, uh-huh. one of the questions I always ask everybody I speak to is. What's the plan for the next six months? Um, the plans for the uh, so what we've been doing for the past few months is try and raise uh, donations mm-hmm. for for the project. So we try and work full time on this, and sometimes save a day uh, to do some freelance. <laughs> but yep, this is yep. not a sustainable <laughs> model, and we'd like to to somewhat uh, be able to uh, would like to pay people who contribute to this project. Mm-hmm. Uh, for long enough that we feel like they should get paid. Um, but healthcare is uh, such a market that it's, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to find donations which are not very specific to one disease or, or like a, one very specific uh, medical thing. So as a standardized, the standardization tool, it's kind of hard to find uh, donations. So we decided to switch into a different model and, and uh, probably try and raise funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this will be one of the goals. Okay. We'll try and start selling uh, deployment of this uh, this software in a couple of uh, of hospitals in the coming weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we want to, to focus on in the first place is uh, compliance, uh, uh, GDPR compliance. So we'll be focusing on using this. Uh, this uh, tool so as to implement portability of the data, for example, when uh, when a patient asks for it, mm, mm, or, or, or mm. uh, deletion of the data yep. since we have yeah. a, a mapping of the uh, yeah. of uh, the databases. Yeah, no, that's actually so, yeah. a, it's, it's an interesting point. The GDPR was seen as such a kind of a challenge, but it actually created a lot of new business opportunities. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah exactly. And and no one is doing it like, oh, everyone is talking about it, I think, in hospitals, but no one has actually implemented uh, anything around it. And, and hospitals are 
responsible with regard to the law of handling these data. Mm. So they they have a strong incentive of of, um, mm. of having their system evolving in the coming weeks. Yep. I'd say. <laughs> and uh, one final question. Mm-hmm. I guess well, well, we're doing this interview in English. Uh, we'll have a hopefully a broad uh, a reach for you. Um, uh-huh. Do you have any plans to expand outside of France, or is every hospital system so specific that it'll be difficult in the short term? Um, obviously, we we have reasons to go abroad. Like the the, yeah. the problem is very uh, it's very Global. comparable from <laughs> one country to another. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, we've been looking at at the uh, the structure of different markets, and obviously different countries use different softwares, mm. but the the problem remains the same. And standardizing one one database once you have the appropriate tools to do it is actually it's a, it's not a piece of cake, but it's a, a matter of days or, or weeks. So okay, okay. and then you have access to a whole new market. So of course, as a as an open source project, we hope to reach for different countries and that, and that people will just take the lead on deploying this uh, this project elsewhere and bringing contributions. And that was my interview with Alexis of Ank. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I hope you enjoyed the show. I am about to start recording episodes for my new show. So keep an eye on christianchiller.com slash podcast for previous episodes of this show, The Weekly Squeak, plus episodes of that new show, plus episodes of the Write the Docs podcast. Uh, we just had an interesting conversation on the differences between technical writing and marketing. If you enjoy what I do, you can also subscribe to my newsletters at christianchiller.com slash newsletters, where you will find the newsletter for this show, as well as, again, some forthcoming newsletters. One of them is just about ready to start launching. And you could support the show at slash support on the same website. You could also contact me there. Uh, I kind of prefer email and Twitter at Chris Chinch. So in the meantime, and until next week, if you have been, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>